We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the eighth piece in Elchus Tumas Meis. This is the second piece on Perak Yotes Halacha Aleph. This piece continues the theme of the previous piece about the nature of Tumas Ohel in a barrel, but obviously with a new perspective. The Rambam writes, If there's a barrel that's lying on the ground in the doorway of the house, but the opening of the barrel is facing outward. If there's a kazayis of a dead body on top or beneath the barrel, on the section of the barrel which is outside the house. So koshu So anything which is in the line of the tumah above it or below it is all tame. But the things that are in the barrel are tahor because the tumah does not spread throughout the barrel. But the Rambam limits this. Anything in the barrel is tahor. Except for a vessel which is in the direct line of tumah. So even though the tumah does not spread throughout the barrel, but anything that's in the barrel directly above or below the Tumah, so in the direct line of Tumah, is also Tameh. So the Rambam limits the protection of the barrel only to not spreading the Tumah throughout the barrel, but it does not protect the vessels that are directly in the line of Tumah. Now this comes from the Mishnah at the beginning of the ninth chapter of Alos, where it deals with the cases of Kaveres. And the Mishnah says, If there's a Kazais of a dead body beneath it or on top of it outside of the house, Anything which is in the direct line of the dead body, inside of it and on top of it is Tameh. So according to this, the Mishnah is explicitly saying, like the Rambam said, that things that are inside the barrel, if they're directly above the Tumah, are also Tameh. Now there is another girsa of that line in the Mishnah, and this one says, Instead of the word tocha, which means inside of it, it says underneath the barrel and on top of the barrel are tame. So it swaps out the word inside of it for underneath it. So according to that version of the Mishnah, the ruling is that anything which is in the line of Tumah above or beneath the barrel are all tame, but anything in the barrel, even in the line of Tumah, is still tahor because the barrel protects the Tumah from affecting anything inside of it. So those are the two versions of the Mishnah. Either anything in the line of Tumah is Tameh, even if it's inside of the barrel, or only things which are outside the barrel in the line of Tumah are Tameh, but anything inside of the barrel, even in the line of Tumah, is still Tahor. So these two versions are a debate between the major Rishonim. The Rambam and the Ravid hold that anything in the line of Tumah, even in the barrel, is still Tameh. So they have the Girsa of Besot, that even in the barrel things are Tameh, whereas the Rash and the Rush have the other Girsa, Tachteha, that only things outside of the barrel are Tameh, nothing inside of the barrel. Now the issue between these two versions is that there's a protection of Tzamid Pasil, which means that a sealed vessel does not allow Tumah inside of it. So it definitely protects against Tumas Ohel. If there's a dead body in the room and a sealed vessel, the Tumah does not go inside of the vessel. The issue is, does the vessel protect against Tumah Ritsutsa, the Tumah that goes up and down, Bokas Ola, Bokas Vioredes, in a straight line. So does a vessel protect against Tumah Ritsutsa the same way it does against Tumas Ohel? So according to the Rambam and the Raivit, a vessel does not protect from Tumah Ritsutsa. It can still get into the vessel. Whereas according to the Rosh and the Rosh, the same way a vessel protects against Tumas Ohel, it also protects against Tumah Ritsutsa. Now there's a question on the view of the Rambam and the Raivit 
David that a vessel does not protect from Tumar Ritzutza from the Tosefta in Alos Perak Yud, and this is quoted by the Rash in Alos chapter 9, which says that if there's a Chavis which is Tzamid Psil, so there's a barrel which is filled with food and drinks inside of it, and it's sealed, and it's hovering over a dead body. So the Tosefta rules, Kalim Shilamalav Shilamata Haimena Tameyin, any vessels which are above or below this Chavis are Tame because they're directly above the dead body. But the food and drink inside of the barrel are tahor. And the Rambam quotes this ruling in Hilchus Tomas Meis Yud Zayin Vav. So we see from here that even though the barrel is in the direct line above the dead body, since it's a tzamid psil, it's a vessel which protects the contents inside of it, it protects it from the tuma coming into the barrel. Now the Rambam in Tumas Meis Tes Zayin Vav rules that a dead body lying in the open air still gives off Tumar So in this case, the dead body lying under this barrel of Tzamid Psil is giving off Tumar And yet it still says that all the food and drinks in the barrel are Tahor, even the ones that are above the dead body. So we see very clearly from this halacha that a vessel protects even against Tumar not just against Tumas Ohel, because this is a case of Tumar according to the Rambam, and still the vessel protects all of the food and drink inside of it. So we see that it blocks the Tumar So this seems to contradict the ruling of the Rambam we began with, that a vessel does not protect against Tumar Now this is not going to be a question on the Raivid, because he disagrees with the Rambam on this last point. The Mishnah in chapter 9 of Olos, talking about Kaveris, writes, Let's say the barrel is more than a tefach in the air and there's a dead body under it. So the Mishnah rules, Hakol Tamei Elatocha. Everything is Tamei in the line of the dead body, except for the things inside of the barrel. So the barrel prevents the Tuma from coming inside of it. Now, according to the Raivid, the reason for that is because there is no Tuma Ritsutsa in that case. Because since there's just a vessel hanging over the body, it's as if the body is in the open air. And the Raivid disagrees with the whole view of the Rambam that a body in open air has Tuma Ritsutsa. According to the Raivid, there's only Tuma when the body is in a confined space of less than a tefach. So since in this case, the vessel is hanging in the air, there's open space underneath it between the body. So this is not a case of Tumar according to the Raivid. And that's why everything in the vessel, even directly above the dead body, is all tahar. Because according to the Raivid, there's no Tumar in this case to penetrate into the vessel. There's only Tomas Ohel, and that we already know that a vessel protects against. So the Raivid's view in all of these places is consistent because he holds that there's no Tumar on a body lying in open air. So in the case of the barrel, which is hanging in the air, there's no Tumar That's why everything inside of the barrel, even above the body, is Tahor. And that would be the same explanation for the case in the Tosefta in Oalos, where all the food and drink inside of the barrel are Tahor. Because again, we're talking about where the barrel is hanging in the air, so there's no Tumar So everything inside of it is Tahar. So that's how the Raivid's going to differentiate between those cases and the case we began with, where the Raivid holds the things inside of the barrel above the body are Tameh, because in that case, the barrel is on the ground. It's not hanging in the air. So there's not more than a tefach of airspace. So that does create Tumar 
So since there's Tumaritsutsa, it penetrates even through the barrel. So the Raivit is consistent. But according to the Rambam, that there's Tumaritsutsa, even when the barrel is hanging in the air, not only when it's lying on the ground. So he's forced to understand that when the Mishnah said, Hakol Tame Ela Tocha, that in the case where the barrel is hanging, everything is Tame except for things inside of it, it doesn't mean literally everything inside of the barrel is Tahor. It means along the lines of the Rambam we began with, that everything inside of the barrel not directly above the body is tahor, meaning the tumah doesn't spread through the barrel. But anything which is in the direct line above the body is going to be tameh. So that's consistent with the original ruling of the Rambam we began with, that he believes tumah ritsutsa does penetrate even into the vessel. So the only things that are tahor in the vessel are the things that are on the side. They're not directly above the body. But now we have a question, how does the Rambam make sense of the Tosefta's case, which he himself quoted in chapter 16, that says all of the food and drink in the barrel are tahor, seemingly even the ones that are directly in the line of the body. So how do we make sense of that if there's tumaritsutsa in this case, and it should penetrate even into the vessel? So to answer this contradiction in the Rambam, Reb Chaim reviews some of the ideas he discussed in the previous piece. The Ravid comments at the beginning of this chapter that the whole case of a barrel can only be talking about a cheres, an earthenware barrel, which doesn't become tame from the outside. So if there's tumah on top or below, it will not make the barrel itself tame. But if the tumah is inside of the earthenware vessel, then it will make the whole thing tame. So according to the Ravid, this barrel must be referring to an earthenware barrel. Now, the reason he says that is because the Mishnah, when it discusses this whole issue, keeps differentiating that if the Tumah is outside of the barrel, then it does not go into the barrel and spread throughout the barrel. But if the Tumah was in the barrel, so then it does spread throughout the barrel. Now, the Rambam does not limit this to a Cheres barrel. So it sounds like the Rambam is dealing with a normal barrel, which is made from wood. So now the question is, why doesn't the whole barrel become Tameh if the Tumah is on top of it, in which case a tame vessel cannot protect the things inside of it. So somehow this wooden barrel must be of a sort where it cannot become tame. And Rab Chaim addressed this in the previous piece. So since this barrel remains tahor, that's why it works as a tzamid seal. If it's sealed, then it protects all the contents inside of it, as the Mishnah in the 10th chapter of Kalim explains. So on this, the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam and he says, no, this is not talking about a wooden barrel which remains Tahor. It's talking about a clay cheres, an earthenware barrel, and that's why tuma on top of it or beneath it on the outside doesn't make it tummy. But now, says Rab Chaim, we have a big problem with the Ravid. Because since we saw that the Ravid himself agrees that the Tumah does go through the barrel, and any vessels which are on the line of Tumah are going to be Tameh. So it's not so simple anymore to say that since this is a clay cheres, the Tumah doesn't affect it. Because that's not the case. The Tumah does go through this barrel, so whatever's on the line of that Tumah is going to be Tameh. So the whole thing now should really become Tameh, because it breaks the it's now cutting into the vessel, and the rule is that any vessel which becomes tame cannot protect the things inside of it. That's the Mishnah in Idios, Parak Aleph, Mishnah Yodalid. So since in this case the tuma is breaking through the vessel, it should then spread throughout the whole vessel. This vessel should lose the ability to protect the contents inside against this tuma. And in addition, the Ravid in his comment explicitly concluded, Sha'ina Metama Migaba, that a 
clay cheres does not become tame from its outside. But that's not true in this case, because the vessels which are directly in the line of tumma, even in the barrel, are tame. So it's not true to say that the tumma does not affect it when it's on the outside. So we're left with this question that according to the Ravid, even though it's an earthenware barrel, in which case the general rule is that the tumma does not affect it from the outside, but this seems to be an exception to that because here the tumma ritsutsa does go inside of the barrel, in which case it should break the whole protection of the barrel. It's no longer tzamid pasil, and once the tumma goes in there and affects some of the vessels, it should then spread throughout the entire barrel. So to answer the Ravid, Rab Chaim says that there are two elements of Tumah Ritzutza. One is the standard halacha, that the Tumah itself travels up and down. So there's a stream of Tumah that's going up and down. And then there's a second component to this, which is more mysterious, which is that the Tumah can make things that are in a distance Tameh, even if it can't actually travel there. So anything in the line of Tumah, even if the Tumah itself doesn't get there, but from a distance, it's still able to affect it and make it Tameh. So since there's these two components of Tumah Ritzutza, says Rab Chaim that what the Ravid means is that the barrel does protect against Tumah Ritzutza, but only against the first component of Tumah Ritzutza, that the Tumah itself cannot travel into the barrel, like the barrel protects against Tumas Ohel and other Tumas, so it also prevents the Tumah Ritzutza itself from traveling inside of the barrel and affecting anything inside of it. But it can't protect against the second component Component, that Tumah Ritsutsa is able to create Tumah even from afar. For that, the Tumah doesn't need to travel into the barrel. It can create the Tumah from wherever it is. And the proof for this unusual idea, says Rab Chaim, is because the Kesef Mishnah asks, according to the Rambam and the Raivid, that the Tumah Ritsutsa makes anything in its path Tumah even inside of the barrel. So why doesn't the Tumah in fact spread throughout the barrel? The Halacha is that if the Tumah would be inside of the barrel, then it would spread throughout the barrel. So in this case, once the Tumah penetrates the barrel and it makes the vessels in its line Tameh, so now it's in the barrel and it should spread throughout the barrel. Says Rab Chaim, the answer is because in this case, the Tumah didn't actually break through the barrel. In the case where the Tumah's in the barrel, so the Tumah spreads. But in this case, no Tumah ever entered the barrel because the barrel's Tzamid Pasil was able to prevent the Tumah Ritsutza from entering. The reason the vessels in the line of the Tumah are Tameh is because of this secondary idea that Tumah Ritsutza is able to make things Tameh from afar. So that answers the Kesef Mishnah's question, why the Tumah doesn't spread throughout the barrel in this case because there is no tumma that entered the barrel. It only made those vessels in its line Tameh, but that's not going to spread throughout the barrel. So now based on this, says Rab Chaim, this answers the Ravid's approach because according to the Ravid, there is no tumma that broke through in this case. Just like any clay cheres is not affected from tumma on the outside, so too in this case of the cheres barrel, the tumma from the outside is not able to affect it. So it doesn't make the barrel Tameh and it's not able to break through. So that's how the barrel is able to protect everything inside of it. But still, the vessels which are directly on top of the dead body do become Tameh from afar. But that Tumah from afar is not enough to spread
spread throughout the Klecheres. Because in order for there to be tuma in an earthenware vessel, the tuma itself has to be inside of the vessel. And in this case, there is no tuma in the vessel. There's just a tuma outside of the barrel, which is like telepathically making vessels in the barrel tume, but there is no actual tuma that made it into the barrel. So therefore, it's not going to spread throughout the barrel. And this explains the Ravid's whole setup of this halacha. But at the end of the second paragraph, Rab Chaim questions this assumption that a klecheres only becomes tame when the tuma itself is inside of the vessel, not if there's an effect of tuma inside of the vessel. And he says that there seems to be a counterexample because the halacha is that if someone tame moves the klecheres from inside, so that's called tumas heset, moving something also makes it tame. So heset inside of a klecheres does make it tame. Now there, there's no real tuma that's in the klecheres. It's just a transfer of Tuma through Heset, and still it affects a Klecheres. So the same might be true in this case. Even if there's no actual Tuma that breaks into the barrel, since there's an effect of Tuma coming into the barrel, even if it's from afar, that might be enough to make this whole earthenware barrel all tummy. So that would collapse Rab Chaim's whole explanation. So Rab Chaim defends his original approach, and he says that there's a difference between an action of Tuma, which is Heset, moving something, versus the other ways of transferring Tuma, of touching or Ohel, which have to do with contact with the Tuma itself. So even though the Torah said that an action of Heset is going to affect a Klecheres, but that's only when there's an action done. But when it comes to the other forms of transferring Tuma, of touching or being in Ohel, so there there's a requirement to actually have contact with the Tumah itself. The Torah never included that the effects of Tumah, not just the Tumah itself, also affect the Klecheres. So in this halacha, where we would be using the transfers of touching or Ohel to make this Cheres barrel Tameh, so it would require the Tumah itself, but just the effects of the Tumah from afar are not going to affect this Cheres barrel. So that defense Rab Chaim's approach, and that's his explanation for the Raivet. Now in paragraph 3, Rab Chaim introduces another conceptual point, and then we'll come to answer the Rambam. The view of the Rosh and the Rosh is that the Tumar cannot break into the vessel at all, so anything protected by the vessel, even directly in the line of Tumah, is still Tahor. So Rab Chaim says that there are two conceptual ways to formulate this view. Either they don't believe at all that Tumah can come from afar, so the only way Tumah can affect something is if it directly travels to it, but there's no such thing as Tumah from afar. So in the case of the barrel where the Tumah can't penetrate the barrel, so even the things in the barrel that are in the line of the Tumah are not Tame because there's no way for the Tumah to reach them. That's the first way to formulate it. The second is that even the Rosh and the Rush agree that Tumah can affect from afar, so Tuma can either travel to the object or it can make it Tame from afar. But they hold the same way the barrel protects the things inside from the Tuma traveling into the barrel. It also prevents them from being considered on top of the Tuma. So they're not even considered in the line of the Tuma for the Tuma to reach them from afar because anything in the barrel is considered totally removed from the Tuma. It's not even 
even an ohel, it's not even on top of the tumah, even though physically it is, but halachically the barrel makes it that it has no connection with the tumah, so it's not even considered in the line of tumah in order to get tame from afar. So that's the two ways to formulate the rush and the rush's leniency that nothing in the barrel becomes tame. So now, says Rab Chaim, the Rambam's view is like this second formulation, that not only does the barrel prevent the tumah itself from entering, but it also prevents the contents from being considered in the line of tumah. So anything in that barrel is not going to be affected by the tumah, even from afar. So that's how the Rambam formulates the protection of the barrel. So if so, why does the Rambam say that anything in the line of tumah is tameh? Says Rab Chaim, because there are two forms of tzamid pisil. There's a distinction within the cases of a vessel protecting everything inside of it. One is the standard case with a sealed vessel and it protects everything. And as Rab Chaim just said, according to the Rambam, that would protect from all forms of tumah, even tumah ritzutza and even tumah from afar. But then there's another form of tzamid pisil, which is when the vessel has some holes in it. So even though there are holes, it can still protect the things inside of it, so long as the holes are smaller and they don't have a measurement to nullify the whole protection. As the Mishnah in Kalim chapter 9 says, and the Rambam quotes this later in Parakhaf Bays. So there are two types of Tzamid Pesil. One is a full vessel and one has holes in it. And both of them are able to protect against the Tumah. But says Rab Chaim, there's a difference. Even though both of those vessels prevent the Tumah itself from entering, but when it comes to protecting from Tuma from afar, so then there's a difference. In the case of a full vessel, it protects entirely and it makes it that the contents are not even considered in the line of the Tuma. But when it comes to a vessel with holes, so the stuff that's not on top of a hole is entirely protected because not only does the vessel prevent the Tuma itself from entering, but there's also a chatzitza, there's a barrier which makes it that this stuff is not in the line of Tuma. So the stuff that that's not on top of a hole is entirely protected even from afar. But the stuff that's on top of the hole area, that's protected from the tumah itself because even though it's on top of a hole, so there's nothing directly between it and the tumah, but the halacha is that the vessel prevents the tumah itself from affecting it. But in that case, it does not protect it from being in the line of tumah because there's no actual chatzitza between the object and the tumah. So it is considered in the line of Tumah and it could become Tameh from afar. So with all these categories of the two types of Tumah Ritsutsa and the two types of Tzamid Pesil, Rab Chaim's discovered a loophole in the view of the Rambam that even though the Rambam generally holds that Tzamid Pesil entirely protects from all forms of Tumah, but there is a loophole which is when the Tzamid Pesil has a hole and the object is on top of the area of the hole, it only protects from the Tumah itself, but it does not protect from from the Tumah from afar. So now, says Rab Chaim, this is going to answer the contradiction in the Rambam because the Mishnah in Olos 9.3 says that the case of Kaveris is talking about Michul Cheles, when it has holes in it. So this barrel is one that has holes and that's what it means when the Mishnah earlier said Tocha Tameh, that things inside of it are Tameh. It refers to the objects which are on the area of the hole, so they're Tameh in the line of Tumah from afar. 
far. So when the Rambam recorded that halacha, that the things in the barrel in the line of Tumah are Tameh, he means because there's holes in the barrel, and things which are on the hole in the line of Tumah become Tameh. But the Rambam also records the other rule of the Tosefta, that the food and drink in the barrel are entirely Tahor, even the things in the line of Tumah, because that's talking about a sealed barrel. It's a full barrel with no holes, so everything in the barrel is totally protected, not only from the Tumah Ritzutza itself, but also from being in Ohel on the Tumah, so it's not even in the line of Tumah, and it can't become Tameh from afar. So that answers the contradiction between the case of the Mishnah and the case of the Tosefta, because the case of the Mishnah is a barrel with holes, whereas the case of the Tosefta is a full barrel, so therefore nothing in the barrel becomes Tameh. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam, as well as the Raivid and the Rosh and the Rush. There are three views. The Raivid holds that the barrel protects against the Tumah Ritsutsa itself, so the Tumah itself can't get into the barrel, but it doesn't protect the things inside from not being in the line of Tumah, so the Tumah can get in from afar. The Rush and the Rash believe either that there is no such thing as Tumah from afar, or that the barrel still protects against Tumah from afar, because the things inside of the barrel are not even considered in the line of the Tumah, and that includes even if there's holes in the barrel and the object is on top of the area of the hole. The Rambam holds that in general the barrel protects from the Tumah itself as well as from the Tumah from afar, so anything in the barrel is not considered in the line of Tumah, but that only applies if there's a piece of the barrel between the object and the Tumah. But if there's a hole between the object and the Tumah, so then it does protect from the Tumah itself, but not from being in the line of Tumah, so it gets Tumah from afar. Now there's a few problems with Rab Chaim's last step saying that the case of the Mishnah is talking about a barrel with holes because that's how he explained it in the previous piece as well. In the first paragraph, he went through this whole issue, why doesn't the barrel become Tameh? And he quoted the Ravid holds that it's an earthenware barrel. The Rambam in his commentary on the Mishnah, which is quoted by the Kesef Mishnah here, says that we're dealing with a very large barrel, so it's not a vessel, it's an Ohel. And then Rab Chaim quoted a third approach from the El Yoraba in his commentary on the Mishnah in Oalos that he said it's talking about a wooden barrel with holes in it. So in the previous piece, Rab Chaim attributed this approach to the El Yoraba, and in this piece he's saying that it's explicit in the Mishnah. So it seems a little unusual why he's formulating it so differently in the two pieces. Now in addition to that, there are major commentators on the Mishnah who also understand that the case of the Mishnah is a barrel with holes. So the Kesef Mishnah in this chapter on the Rambam has an expanded commentary on the Mishnah in Oalos chapter 9, which deals with the case of the barrel. And he quotes that the Rash and the Rush in their commentaries, they understand that the barrel has holes in it. And the Bartanura in his commentary on Oalos also records this. So they have the same tradition, although it's a little different than what Rab Chaim quotes from the El Yoraba, because they say that the holes of the barrel are plugged up a little bit, but it's not the most solid plug, whereas the El Yoraba doesn't mention that. So there is a little bit of a different formulation from the El Yoraba versus these major commentators. But again, it's somewhat unusual that Rab Chaim quotes the El Yoraba as opposed to the formulation of the Rush, the Rash, and the Bartanura. But either way, the Chazonish points out that the Rambam in his commentary on the Mishnah disagrees with this whole line of interpretation. The Rambam in his commentary explains that the word Michul Cheles does not mean that it has holes. It means the precise opposite, that it's a full barrel with no holes. So basically, Rab Chaim's approach is explaining the Rambam in line 
with the other commentators, but not according to the Rambam's own interpretation of that Mishnah. And Rab Chaim seems comfortable with that because in the previous piece, he already explained the Rambam differently in these halachas than the way the Rambam explained the Mishnah in his commentary. So Rab Chaim seems to feel that these halachas can be explained independently of how the Rambam explained the Mishnahs in his own commentary. So this is another instance of that because the Rambam in his commentary on the Mishnah does not hold that this barrel has holes. That's the view of the Rush, the Rash, the Bartanura, the Al-Yuraba, and that's how Rab Chaim is explaining the rules in Mishnah Torah based on that tradition. Now in paragraph 4, Rab Chaim returns to the view of the Raivet. The Raivet holds that when the barrel is on the ground, so anything in the barrel in the line of Tumah is Tameh. But when the barrel is a Tefach above the ground, so there's airspace between the Tumah and the barrel, so then there's no Tumah at all, even in the line of Tumah, because there's no Tumah Ritzutza. So Rab Chaim wants to understand what is the exact formulation of the Raivet. Does the Raivet hold that the only time there's a concept of Tumah from afar is only when there's Tumah Ritzutza? So there's two components to Tumah Ritzutza. One is that the Tumah itself travels up and down, and the second is that as part of the Tumah Ritzutza, it also creates Tumah from afar. So in that case, that explains exactly why the Raivet holds that if the barrel is in the air, so now there's airspace, and according to the Raivet, whenever there's airspace, there's no Tumaritsutsa. So since there's no Tumaritsutsa in that case, there's no Tuma even in the line of Tuma, because obviously the Tuma itself can't penetrate through the barrel. So the Tuma itself is not going to make the things inside Tame. And there's also no Tuma from afar because there's no Tumaritsutsa in this case. So neither type of Tuma is going to affect the contents of the barrel, and that's why they're totally Tahor, even the stuff in the line of Tuma, as opposed to when the barrel's on the ground where there is Tumaritsutsa, so then there's also Tuma from afar for whatever's in the line of Tuma. That's the first way to formulate the Raivid's rulings. But says Rab Chaim, there's an alternative formulation for the Raivid, which would have him agreeing with the Rush, the Rash, and the Rambam that the barrel protects not only from Tuma itself, but also from Tuma from afar, because it makes the things inside not even in the line of Tuma. So the way to formulate this would be that the Tuma from afar is not directly related to Tuma Ritsutsa. There are two independent types of Tuma. One is Tuma Ritsutsa, that it goes up and down, and one is that Tuma can affect even from afar, even if it's not Tuma Ritsutsa. So if something's in the line of Tuma, even if it's just Tuma's Ohel, it could still affect that thing from afar. But there is a difference between these two because the Tuma itself not only makes the things in its line Tameh, but it also spreads throughout the whole barrel. As opposed to Tuma from afar, which only affects the things in the direct line of Tuma, but it's not going to spread throughout the barrel. So there is a basic difference between these two forms of transmitting Tuma. So now to explain how this fits into the comments of the Raivid, Rab Chaim says that when the Raivid says in the case where the barrel's in the air, that since there's no Tumaritsutsa, the whole barrel doesn't become Tameh, what that means is this. If there would be Tumaritsutsa, that would conflict with the Tzamed Pasil. So there would be like a war, because on the one hand, the vessel protects the things inside of it. That's the rule of Tzamed Pasil. On the other hand, the Tumaritsutsa means that the Tuma has the power to go up and down. So the two things clash. And there wouldn't be a clear winner in this case. According to Rab Chaim, 
each of them would give in something, they would meet in the middle. So on the one hand, the tzamid pasil protects the things inside of the barrel that the actual tumah itself can't get in there. But on the other hand, the tumah ritsutsa weakens the tzamid pasil so that the stuff inside is considered in the line of tumah. Even though ordinarily the tzamid pasil protects from both forms of tumah, both from the tumah itself as well as from being in the line of tumah from afar. So ordinarily, the vessel protects from both of those, but in this case, the tumor weakens the tzamid pasil, so it only protects against the tumah itself, but the stuff inside is still considered in the line of tumah, so it does get tumah from afar. So it's like a compromise. On the one hand, the tumah itself never makes it in, even though the tumor is trying to push it in. On the other hand, the stuff in the barrel is not totally protected because it does get tumah from afar because it's now considered considered in the line of Tumah, because the Tumah Ritsutsa weakened the Tzamid Pasil protection. So that's the way Rab Chaim creates this framework according to the Raivid. So that's why in the case where the barrel's on the ground and there's Tumah Ritsutsa, it weakens it enough that anything in the line of Tumah becomes Tame from afar, but on the other hand, the Tumah itself can't get into the barrel, so that's why the Tumah doesn't spread throughout the barrel. But when the barrel is hanging in the air, so there there's no Tumah according to the Raivid, because it's like open air. So since there's no Tumaritsutsa, it doesn't weaken the Tzamid Pasil at all. So not only does the stuff in the barrel not become Tame, but even the stuff in the line of Tumah is also protected. So according to this formulation of the Raivid, it's a little more complicated, but now the Raivid too agrees with the other Rishonim that the barrel protects not only from the Tumah itself, but also from being in the line of Tumah. So now, according to this, Rab Chaim points out that according to the Raivid, the only reason the things in the line of the Tumah are Tameh is because the Tumah Ritsutsa weakens the Tzamed Pasil. Otherwise, the barrel would have completely protected everything inside of it from being in the line of Tumah. So now Rab Chaim assumes that a barrel can only protect things from being in the line of Tumah if it's a full barrel and there's no holes. So according to the Raivid, the case of the barrel must be that it's a full barrel, not where there's holes in it, as Rab Chaim explained according to the Rambam. And that makes sense because the Ravid himself explained that this is talking about a barrel that's cheres, but he didn't say that there's holes. So now, according to Rab Chaim, there's another element to the debate between the Rambam and the Ravid. According to the Rambam, this is a wooden barrel with holes. According to the Ravid, it's a cheres barrel with no holes. So since there's no holes, that's why theoretically the barrel should have protected from all forms of tumah not only the Tumah itself, but even being in the line of Tumah because it's a Chatzitza. So anything in the barrel is not considered in the line of Tumah. So that's why the Ravid has to say that only because there's Tumah Ritsutza, it weakens the Tzamid Pasil. So anything in the line of Tumah is going to be Tameh. So if so, says Rab Chaim, we're back to the question that he asked on the Rambam, this time on the Ravid. What about the case in the Tosefta of the barrel with food and drinks inside of it and everything is Tahor? Why doesn't the Tumah Ritsutsa weaken the Tzamid Pasil so anything in the line of Tumah becomes Tameh? 
So says Rab Chaim, a simple answer that he already said earlier in the Raivid, which is according to the Raivid, this case will be where the barrel was hanging in the air. So there's no Tumaritsutsa according to the Raivid. So without Tumaritsutsa, there's nothing to weaken the Tzamid Pesil. There's only Tuma lying under the barrel. And since the barrel is a full barrel with no holes, it's able to protect everything inside of it completely. Not only from the Tuma itself, but also from being on top of the Tuma. So that's the way the Raivid is going to make sense of these different halachas. So basically, both the Rambam and the Raivid need a case where a barrel can completely protect everything inside of it. According to the Rambam, that's the case of a full barrel without holes. It totally protects everything. According to the Raivid, it's a barrel that's hanging in the air, so there's no Tumaritsutsa, so it's able to protect everything. But if there's Tumaritsutsa going against a full barrel, so according to Rab Chaim, that's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivid. According to the Rambam, that barrel completely protects everything inside of it. The only way for the Tumah to affect things in a barrel is if there are holes in the barrel. And according to the Raivid, even if it's a full barrel, if there's Tumah Ritsutsa, it weakens the Tzamid Pesil. So even though the Tumah itself can't get into the barrel and spread throughout the barrel, but the things in the direct line of the Tumah are going to be affected from afar. Now, one small point, Rab Chaim makes an assumption that both the Rambam and the Ravid have to agree that the only time a barrel can protect the things inside of it from being considered directly in the line of Tumah is only if there's a physical piece of the barrel between those objects and the Tumah. But if the object is on top of a hole, so then it would not be protected from being in the line of Tumah. But this again gets into the issues we mentioned earlier about how to read the Mishnah because it seems that the Rush and the Rash hold that there are holes and still the barrel is able to completely protect everything inside of it. So that seems to go against Rab Chaim's assumption. Now, in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim answers a question using this idea he's been developing throughout this piece that there's Tumah from afar. So he's going to answer a question of the Raivid, which he's going to deal with at length in the next piece. So this sort of sets us up for the next piece. The Mishnah clarifies that this whole halacha is b'medvar ma'amur b'zman Only when it's a regular empty barrel. But if there were a lot of holes and it was plugged up with straw, or if it was a futsa, which according to the Rambam means that it was totally filled with straw so there wasn't even a tefach of airspace. So in those cases, the barrel is not considered a vessel anymore. It's considered an ohel. And it does prevent the tumah from traveling further. So if if there's a kazayis from the dead body under the barrel, it would not travel up, it only travels downwards, but anything on top of the barrel would be safe. So unlike the first case where the barrel does not protect the things on top or below it, in this case where the barrel becomes an ohel, it does prevent the tumah from traveling further. So the Ravid asks, if the tumah is underneath the barrel, why isn't there tumah ritsutsa? Because since in this case the barrel is on the floor, so there's not a tefach of airspace above the tumah, so it becomes tumah ritsutsa. And as we said, the view of the Rambam and the Ravid is that tumah ritsutsa breaks through even some so why doesn't this Tumaritsutsa in this case break through the barrel? So Rab Chaim answers based on a Mishnah in the 10th chapter of Alos, which is the chapter dealing with the case of the windows. So there's a case of Arubos Zual Gavzu. There's two windows. One is the attic, one is on the ground floor. And there's all sorts of different halachas depending on the factors. So in this case, the windows are small. They don't have a tefach of airspace. And there's Tumah on one of the windowsills. So the Mishnah rules that if he 
took a davar she'enu mekabel tumah, a material which does not become tameh, and he blocked up one of the windows. So he closed one of the openings. Bein milamalan, bein milamatan, whether he closed the upper window or the lower window, it doesn't make a difference. Ein tameh ela tachton. Only the ground floor is tameh. So the Rambam in chapter 16 explains this ruling of the Mishnah that if he closed the upper attic window, there's no tumah in the attic, only on the ground floor. The Rambam says that means even if someone in the attic hovered over the tumah. Because since there's only a small opening, the tumah doesn't travel through a space that's less than a tefach. So when the Mishnah says that there's no tumah in the attic, only on the ground floor, it means even hovering over the tumah in the attic is tahor. Now Rab Chaim asks on this, it makes sense that the tumah itself can't travel to the attic because it doesn't travel through a space of less than a tefach. But why should someone hovering over the tumah be tahor? What about the idea Rab Chaim's been developing that tumah can affect something from afar? So even if the tumah can't travel to the attic, it could still make that person tame from afar. So the ruling in the Mishnah that the person in the attic is totally tahor seems to contradict Rab Chaim's whole idea that there's tumah from a distance. So Rab Chaim answers that this Mishnah is different because it's talking about a dead body under an ohel. The whole concept of Tumah from a distance only applies when the body's not in an ohel. But once it's in an ohel, it loses the ability to make something Tameh from afar. So that's why in this case, where the Tumah is in the house, it doesn't affect someone from a distance only when it's not under an ohel. So using this principle from this Mishnah, now this answers the Ravid's question as well. Why doesn't the tumah penetrate into this barrel, which is considered an ohel, because since it has tzamid pasil, so the tumah itself is not going to be able to get in there. Only the stuff that's in the direct line over the tumah would have been tameh from a distance, but that's also not going to work in this case, because since this barrel has the status of an ohel, so that's tumah that's under an ohel, so it loses the ability to create tumah from a distance. So that's why in the case where the barrel becomes an Ohel, it totally prevents the Tumah from entering at all, even from a distance. But in the first case, where the barrel is just a regular vessel, so there the Tumah is not under an Ohel, so that's why it works even from afar. And again, in the next piece, Rab Chaim will develop this approach much more and in a different direction. So this is Rab Chaim's piece to explain another element of the debates between the Rambam and the Raivid about the Kaveres. The key conceptual point of this piece is that at times, even when the Tumah itself can't reach somewhere, but from a distance, it can still make something tummy.